Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know we harp on it a lot. You need a good pair of binos. Yeah, I never hunted with binos until I was almost into my 20s. I never did it when I was a teenager or anything like that. Or when I was a kid, we never had binos. And when I bought my first pair of Vortex binos, the first binos I ever purchased back in like 2015, it immediately made a huge difference for me, especially in the turkey woods. So give yourself the advantage of a good pair of binos this spring, whether you're looking for more of like an entry-level bino like the Vortex Diamondbacks or something really, really nice like the Razors. Vortex is going to have something for you. And hey, don't pay full price for it. Use our discount code at eurooptic.com. Use the code SGN10 to get a discount on any Vortex optics that you want to order. Again, that's eurooptic.com, code SGN10 to go get a discount on any Vortex product you order. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. All right, everybody, at the NWTF convention, I just rolled up here uh, like six hours after I left my apartment. <laughs> it was a long, horrible drive. I'm sitting here with Jacob Myers and Mr. Shane Simpson from Calling All Turkeys. So how are you two doing? I'll start with you, Shane. Well, I guess I'm doing pretty good. Yesterday I had a pretty good day, and the convention's going well. So, mm-hmm. And we're in a warmer climate for me. I think it was negative five back home this morning. <laughs> 
so. Yeah. Uh, no, thank you. It's 60 degrees when, when I left. Yeah. I'd die. Like right now, if it was 45, 50, or 45 degrees outside, that'd be a bit nippy. But to you guys, <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's t-shirt and short weather right there. God. Yeah. I, I had a coworker of mine, side topic, that was from Wisconsin, and he was talking about like, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, it'd be freezing cold, but, you know, you just got to walk outside. If I go to the mail, I'm wearing sandals and some shorts and a t-shirt just real quick. Might be, you know. It's not so bad outside as long as there's no wind. That's that's the biggest thing. I can walk outside and it's 10 degrees. Mm-hmm. If it's dead calm, that sun, and you can be out there in just a long sleeve shirt. Yeah. And I guess a lot has to do with the humidity. It's, a, it's really dry so that it doesn't really feel like 10 degrees. As soon as a slight breeze comes up, you're running back inside the. Yeah. No, and I, I can, I can believe that. I don't know. I mean, that's why if you ever watch um, – Dan Infault's videos. Mm-hmm. He's outside and it's like T-shirt. Yeah, like, like negative eight <laughs> degrees, and he's just like, What's he's going like, on, guys? Wa- he's like wading through a marsh, you know, his, half up to his thigh. He's in bo- boxers. He's wearing yeah. boxers and Did ice. Did you see water. that post that he made about that? And he said, uh, "What is it about being at work? A, a good day, you know." The oh same. yeah, yeah. It's still better than a good day at work. I, I saw that. I commented. I said, "No, no. I'd, I'd rather take a good day at work or, or a bad day at work <laughs> than to be out there in that. <laughs> you know, to be standing knee deep in swamp water and in, boxers in, in single <laughs> digit temperatures, probably. Oh, That's yeah. ridiculous. I mean, dude, you talk about an absolute animal. I mean, yeah, that's the reason why they call him the hunting beast because he's a legit animal. But yeah, he's a beast. Be, well, yeah, being here at the convention, it's like uh, it gives you hope because you got you. Now we're all talking about turkeys, everything, turkey, everything, and going forward a month from now, it'll be. Well, I don't know about where you live, but where I live, it's going to be warm in a month. We'll, well have we a hope cold so. Day. Last last spring was cold throughout the season, and everywhere yeah. I traveled, I was like, "Is it ever going to get warm?" Because <laughs> I was in Florida, and it was kind of cool last year. In mm-hmm. March, went to Alabama. It was still still pretty chilly. I think it was in the upper 20s or low 30s that one morning. Yeah, it was two years ago. It was like in the 20s opening morning. That's, I was mad, That's too. when we slept in the trucks, right? Yeah, I got off work at 2 a.m. and just went out there and slept at the gate in my truck. Three of us, and that was horrible. Oh, it wasn't that bad because sleeping bags and everything, but – yeah, I won't. I won't mind at all if it's in the mid seventies, close to eighty this spring. You know, throughout. I mean, I know a lot mm-hmm. of people don't like the heat. I can deal with it. I, if it's ninety degrees, I'm gonna still be out there and mm-hmm. find me a spot in the shade. It's better than being twenty five degrees and and freezing. Yeah. yeah, I love the cold weather until deer season ends, and then I'm like, all right, I'm ready for. I'm ready for it yep. to start warming up. I'm ready for turkey season. Yeah, and you quickly know how good your gear is when it comes to cold weather. When you have yeah. some really cold, windy. High humidity weather. That's that's what's rough. Like when you came down here, so that was two years ago. You came down to Alabama. It was last spring. Last spring, yeah. God, it's like every. It feels like almost every turkey season. It's so cold that opening week, and then like a week later, oh, we're out there in shorts and t-shirts and mm-hmm. yeah, getting eaten up by mosquitoes while chasing it's birds. Like that last cold weather thump of the year. You know, like oh no, can't let you off too soon. Yeah, I, <laughs> I got to say that that I've been really fortunate over the years. As far as weather is concerned, when I'm traveling all over, mm-hmm. there's been some times when it's been cold or whatnot, but I have not endured any rain per se. I mean, maybe one morning, the last morning it might rain, and I just, okay, call that hunt. Yeah. But you, you see these, I see friends, or, or they talk about hunting, and it rained for three days straight. I've ne- it seems like everywhere I go, it's sunny, 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 sunny. Just making <laughs> and, all of our listeners I'm, jealous. Yeah, and, and I was telling <laughs> someone last year, I said, Man, I hope I don't jinx, jinx this by talking about it, but I, everywhere I go, it's always great weather. And I <laughs> guess it's it's bound to happen sooner or later. It's going to be one spring. Maybe this spring it rains every single day everywhere I go. 
That was my deer season. I was going to say, deer season, I can see that. I've never really experienced a turkey season that, that was that bad. You know, you get a couple, especially getting into April, you know, you get some pretty solid showers. But it's like, you go after that rain and get back on the birds, mm-hmm. it's not a big deal. You know, I'm personally not a guy, I don't want to be turkey hunting when it's a complete, like, thunderstorm. But, like, a light rain or something, it's fine. But, yeah, I, hopefully, yeah. this year goes pretty good for yeah, you. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping so. <laughs> but kind of jump into that. Uh, first off, let's kind of touch on we're at NWTF, as we said earlier. Is that still making some noise? Yeah, you need to move it up. Hold on, guys. I gotta adjust my mic. All right, is that a little bit better? Yeah, move it a little bit closer to your mouth. A little closer to my mouth. Perfect, right there. We're testing out some new headphones, guys. Headsets. So bear with us. But anyway, so we're at NWTF. Uh, this is our th- second, third year coming. Third, third year coming. Pretty excited to be here, Shane. You're here, man. You're calling. Kind of break down a little bit. Uh, first of all, what you're doing here when it comes to calling competitions for anyone that doesn't know. And, again, kind of let us know how that went for you. Uh, well, I'm, I'm here for the – I competed in the owl hooting and goblin divisions, which occurred Thursday morning, yesterday morning. Um, it's, I usually come down here and compete in the senior prelims mm-hmm. and then get a chance to maybe go to the finals. Um, I'm doing some freelance work for the NWTF and plus – with my turkey hunting show and now the Cali Chronicles, my deer tracking thing, it takes a huge amount of my time throughout the year that I don't have to do- devote to practicing my calling. Mm-hmm. And I just don't feel that it would be even worth my time. I mean, to go up there and, and I just don't think that my level of calling is where it should be mm-hmm. to compete in those. Now the owl hooting and goblin, I've been working on my goblin here and there over the past few years. I gave it a shot last year for the first time. I didn't place, I mean, I didn't finish very well, which just means I need to go back and work some more. Mm-hmm. This year I did much better, closer to placing. I was a few spots out of placing. And so obviously the judges like what they heard and, and they think it's better than last year. Uh, my owl hooting, I've been doing it for quite a few years. I've won a lot of local contests with it. Mm-hmm. I think it was 2015 I finally placed here. Um, didn't place in 16. Um, let's see. I, I hope I got the years right. It's hard to remember. Last year I came here and I placed again, mm-hmm. and um, changing some things up. And and yesterday I was very fortunate. I tied for first place in the owl hooting, and so I had to have a call off. And with Caleb Payton. Oh which, yeah, and, yeah. And he's he's won quite a few times. He's a very good uh, owl hooter, and uh, he beat me in the call off. And I went back and watched it and and. I would have probably given it to him. He's, he's just got a little bit better sound. I mean, he knows how to run that call and produce a lot of variable sounds that owls make. And maybe mine wasn't, you know, to that extent. I think mine sounded good, but he added some few extra things that may have took him over the top. And point and a half out of uh, a Grand National title. But mm-hmm. I w- it was extremely, uh, you know, grateful to be up there and, and to have that second place. And then I told my buddy James Harrison, who has won it a, a – probably more than anyone, he's, he's the one that made the, made the owl hooter that I used, his signature hooter, and here he is in third behind me, and I looked at him, I said, I didn't get first, but I, I finally beat you, and that yeah. was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> he is, he's ridiculous yeah. calling owls, man. It is, I, I've, I learned a lot of, like, the stuff that I use watching videos of him. Uh, like, I think he's been on Growing Deer TV a bunch, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> he, he's ridiculous. Some of the stuff that y'all can do, like, all these callers that are here at the Grand Nationals, like, blows my mind. And I always tell people, if you want to learn a whole lot about turkey calling and what certain things are supposed to sound like, 
it's always good to come to the Grand Nationals and just sit and listen and learn. Well, it, not just come here and sit and listen. You, there is no other convention or, or, or outdoor show that you have full access to to the callers. And, and I, I shouldn't say full access, but you can go up to them, and a lot of them will readily talk to you, mm-hmm. and you can talk to them in person instead mm-hmm. of, you know, uh, watching a video of them giving a tip. And so – you know, take advantage of that. And there's a lot of outdoor celebrities here. I mean, this is a great place to come if you're an outdoorsman and you want to maybe rub elbows with some of these guys you watch on TV oh, or yeah. look up to. Yeah, they're they're also approachable, man. Yeah. Like, they're all willing to yep. talk to you. It's a great time. Yeah, they they wouldn't be here if they weren't approachable for the most part. Yep. I mean, yeah. everybody's willing to go out of the way, you know, as long as you don't catch them in, in a bad situation when they're tied up with something else. Everyone's willing to talk to you. And, again, especially a newer hunter or someone that's really trying to learn, mm-hmm. everyone here is very helpful and trying to – you know, show the – not even the next generation, but show the next guy, next person down, you know, how to be able to come, you know, a better caller, which is one thing I want to work on because I'm pathetic. I mean, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if Jordan's ever said anything about me, but it's no. pretty it's pretty rough. You should ask Jordan. Not yet. If he had, I wouldn't tell you. Oh, oh man. No, it's all good. I, I joke with him all the time. I'm like, man, I got to work on that crap. But that's one thing I loved about it. Last year was the first year I've actually came to the Grand National Championship and listened. And, like, Scott Ellis was up there. Uh, Dave Owens won it. Um, and it was just – Jesse Martin. Jesse Martin, uh, Jared Lowe. And it's, like, sitting in there. And I remember um, somebody was like, just close your eyes and just listen to them when they're calling. And it will blow your mind when you do that. It's it's amazing how that that happens because I was just mm-hmm. doing it earlier this mm-hmm. morning. Um, they were doing the prelims, and I was listening to a caller. And – you know, you're just sitting there watching them, and I think some of your other senses take over, and I finally just closed my eyes just to kind of listen like if I was a judge. And mm-hmm. I'm like, man, that sounds so much more realistic with my eyes closed than it did me watching. There's a lot of distractions going on with your mm-hmm. eyes open. Because, like, you're watching their form. You're watching yeah. you're watching more body language, I think, than you're actually listening. Because yeah. I saw one guy, he was up there during the friction prelims, and he messed up a key key run. And, like, for the rest of the time, he was just, like, awkward up there. Like, he wasn't comfortable. And – uh it was just like, if I would have just closed my eyes, I would have been like, okay, you know, it is what it is. But I was watching him. I was so tied up in, like, watching his body move. I was like, oh, man, I it, can't. It's not only frustrating when you're up there and you make a slip up, mm-hmm. but uh, um, it uh, it affects your nerves and everything, your whole routine, and you're up there. All you can think about, at least for me, if I'm up there running a call, I'm already nervous enough. And if I make a little slip, all I can think about, oh, God, I just ruined my chances. And, I, and the, my routine that's in my mind just went out the, you know, out the door. Mm-hmm. And, and then yeah. I'm like just randomly making sounds in, and <laughs> and like you said, if you can, if you're watching someone, mm-hmm. you can see their whole demeanor ch- uh, change. And you could, I mean, I, and that was the first time I noticed that because last year was the first year I've ever came to the show and actually watched any of the calling. Previously, I we I just came up here just for like the show and just going to see people on the floor. But um, last year going to the Grand Nationals, I never really saw any of that situations. But it's like you're seeing so many guys are come up here. It might be their twentieth time you know, being at the show and being, you know, calling, or it might be their first time. And you never know. But it's like, again, just watching somebody and seeing uh, just how someone handles the stress. Because, again, when you're up there on that calling stage, even, like, during the prelims, you know, there was probably, I don't know, 100 people just watching. And it's like trying to, you know, stay focused while you're calling and kind of go through your routine and make it happen is is huge. And I think that actually probably helps in a lot of situations. We talked about this. Uh, I've talked about this in the past is, like, when it comes to, like, hunting and actually, like, killing animals. you talking, like, bow hunting there is like a sequence you got to go through to really kind of make it happen. Like it, it is it, the click mm-hmm. and it's like calling seems like the same thing. Like you got to click and get in that zone because if you get out of the zone, you're going to possibly mess up. So 
Yeah, the, the biggest thing is, is getting uh, proficient at your calling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of callers will, will agree with me. The better you get at your calling, the easier it is to do a certain call. The, the more your confidence goes up and the less the nerves affect you. Mm-hmm. Where it, I mean, you may be able to do a good call and you get up there nervous and read slips or read flips happen uh, or the odds of it happening increase mm-hmm. because you get a dry mouth and whatnot. But like my owl hooting, I'm fairly confident with that. It sounds good, and, and I don't worry too much about mistakes. And so I can go up there, and I'm not nervous at all because I know that what I'm about to do is probably going to come out mistake-free. Mm-hmm. I at least hope so. But turkey calling, I still get really nervous because that first maybe a cluck and purr, it may not come out the sound I want. And, yeah. And so I'm a, a little more nervous doing that. Stage time those does help. Mm-hmm. And the more you get up there, of course, it's uh, – it makes it a little easier to call because you've been up there before. That's what I've heard from other guys is, like, if you go to a lot of your local competitions and just get a – even if you don't play, even if, like, you don't do good, but you just get the experience of calling in front of people and you can kind of get over so much of, like, the anxiety of calling in front of people, people watching you, and then just work on your calling, it can really help you out, especially if you can get to Grand Nationals. Yeah, and, and the small contest is usually more nerve-wracking than the big ones like this because you've got 10 or 15 people – right there beside you staring all of them staring intently at you whereas here you got bright lights Mm -hmm. uh, they're back away from stage if you if you don't try to look out there you don't even see them so you're just on in the bright lights i think the biggest thing here is when you come for the first time you don't know the process okay here's where the callers meeting is in the back we're going to draw you don't know that and you Mm -hmm. don't even know how to enter the stage so you got to be not only ready to call but you've got to be guided through the whole process and then once you've done it you know so it could to me, it was less um, nerve-wracking at Grand National on the Grand National stage, even today. Mm-hmm. I've been up there, I don't know how many times, five or six or more. If I go to a lo- uh, local contest, I'm more nervous today competing in it than I am on that big stage with live Facebook and, and you know, well, a lot of people out in front of you watching. And I could say, I could probably believe that. Plus, you know, if you're in a situation where maybe it's like a local competition, maybe, you, like, you know pretty much everybody out there and you kind of – you want to impress them. You want to be like, hey, you know, I'll, you know, I know what I'm capable of, and probably a lot of them know what you're capable of too. And you go up there and you're slipping, you're like, oh man, <laughs> like, oh, like come on, that's not me. Like, yeah. come on now, like, but you know, kind of going into the calling aspect, you know, one thing I want to talk to you about is, first of all, how long have you been calling for turkeys? I mean, did it start right when you got into turkey hunting, or is that something that kind of got a little earlier? Yes. Um, so. I lived in South Carolina. That's where I grew up. And mm-hmm. we had 50 acres, and it butted up against some state land. And me and my brother, we'd walk back there. I don't even know if I had a hunting license or what the requirements were. But I'm young and, and don't remember all those details. But mm-hmm. I was walking back there turkey hunting. Didn't even know how to turkey hunt. Just walking with a shotgun, hoping to see one and shoot it, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, we we were walking down the little logging road on the public land, and here come another hunter. And he said, what are you, what are you two doing? It's like turkey hunting. And he said, uh, do you know how to turkey hunt? I'm like, no. And uh, he, so he gave us some tips, and he put, had a little vest or a pack with him. I don't even recall, but mm-hmm. he had some brand-new mouth calls. I was still in the package, some HS split V3s or something. And he said, here you go. Uh, learn to use these and uh, sit down against a tree and be still and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I took it home and started working. That was the very first call I'd ever had or ever used. And so I think that helped me get a little bit better um early on mm-hmm. my friends a lot of them whenever we'd go hunting it's like uh, shane's hunting with me 
you know, he's going to talk to <laughs> and, and I was just talking about that with a friend today about uh, how my friends all thought my calling was good. Even my brothers and stuff would, would thought my calling was better than, than most others. And I go back to some of these old video clips that I have, not that far back, but, you know, 2006 and 7 and 8. And I'm like, that's awful. <laughs> I, I'm, I would be embarrassed to run that sound in front of people today. And so it's it's uh, evolved and, and got much better over the years. But, um, yeah, that's how I kind of got into mouth calls. And I, I picked up a box call here and there, but I always kept going back to that mouth call um, from that very first call he gave me. And I'm glad I ran into him and he gave me that call because the mouth call has such a bigger advantage mm-hmm. as far as motion and everything out in the woods when you're working on a bird and he's tight and, you know, you just need him to come in that extra few yards. Well, also, mm-hmm. you can adjust the pitch much easier once you get talented enough Mm -hmm. you can adjust your pitch you can adjust your volume and i think it's more efficient once you get to a certain level now a lot of beginners you know mouth call is probably one of the more tougher ones you know you can get a you know a pot call or a box call and work at it but again it's like when you have a bird within you know 80 yards or especially if you're hunting open terrain It, you can't run most of those calls without getting seen unless you're in a box ball or i mean it's it's not only that it's, it's other predicaments you might get yourself in for instance this past spring um i was trying to move on a, on a bird get closer and i was standing behind a tree i came up a hill and stood behind a tree and i was going to make another call to, to figure out where he was at and i called and he got hammered back i mean he was seemed like he was in gun range and so all i did was put the gun up and prop against the tree standing up behind it with a box call or pot call you'd never be able to make another sound and so with the mouth call i was able to you know make some really soft yelps or some clucks and purrs and bring them a little closer. I didn't get him at that moment. He drifted off, and I ended up circling around and shooting him later. But um, that's a perfect example where hands-free calls um, make a huge uh, difference. Yeah, it's a huge advantage, I think. Now, when you first got starting, when you first got started into calling and you kind of got a, a feel for all the different calls there were, I don't know how long it took you to, to kind of get up understanding of what different vocalizations a turkey was making but in your opinion for someone starting out what or even someone that's been calling for a long time what is one of the more difficult calls that you can do on a mouth call but something that's a very efficient if you want to use that in the woods I, I, I've kind of changed in my mind um, over it's evolved over which calls I think are more effective or which one I kind of favor certain ones it mm-hmm. used to be um, cutting and that's been it for a while or, or exciting uh, calling cutting with some yelp, excited yelp stone in. To me, that has uh, helped kill more birds than, than just playing yelping and doing other things. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I've told a lot of people that if you've got a bird and he's hung up, start cutting and then take a deep breath and cut like and do that for two or three minutes straight. Catch your breath and you know just keep doing it. And then because I've I've had. Uh, numerous occasions where another hen would come in and, and see me sitting there and it wouldn't know what I was and start almost like a putt cutting. They're mm-hmm. they're 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 oh, yeah. angry, but it's not that putt sound mm-hmm. that sounds totally different. And I'll start cutting back, and all of a sudden a gobbler would fire off in the distance. And next thing I know, he's he's cut the distance. That cutting um, I saw early on was something that they that really attracted those gobblers, whether they were coming in to find the hen or to see what's going on over there. And so I started doing that a lot, and it's it's helped kill a lot of uh, birds. Uh, in recent years, jake yelping and gobbling has really, I've seen it 
where it can be make or break a hunt. Mm-hmm. Just add that. My New York hunt, for instance. Yeah. Had a flock of birds come out that last morning I was there. It was a couple of hens, a couple of toms, and a few jakes. And I could hear the jakes yelp. I did. I don't think I. I don't recall ever making another hen yelp. As soon as I saw them, I jake yelped the entire time. Those jakes are easier to call in, so they kind of steered over across the field towards me, and they kind of kept that group of hens and gobblers just close enough to them that when they got in uh, close enough to me, that little zone you'd call yeah. it i don't know what it is 100 yard zone mm-hmm. those gobblers came over passed right in front of me they actually were going to a, another tom or something to my right i couldn't see and uh, and by having those jakes directed to me it kept the rest of the flock you know closer otherwise i think they would have drifted farther out of gun range and went you know another place i wouldn't have got them but jake yelps i've seen uh, i mean it it's a very effective call if you can do it well well, talking about Jake Yelps, Andrew, you had a couple of cool hunts. You started trying to implement that this past year. Mm-hmm. And once I saw you starting to have success, I tried to learn how to do it. Again, learning still mm-hmm. how to do it. But I think it's super efficient. I mean, you had a couple of cool hunts where you, mm-hmm. uh, you opening used Jake Yelps. day, midday. Uh, I had a gobbler opening day of last year that fired off like way down this. Uh, like way down this valley and mm-hmm. it was just planted pines like and there's a little creek in the middle but not enough to where there was an smz it was just pines through and i worked down there to him and he was like gobbling on this he's strutting there's a road on the other side and he was strutting on that road and i was like doing my hen yelps and everything and he wouldn't move so i was like all right i'm gonna throw a jake yelp at him so i start jake yelping and he came right in he came all the way down to the very bottom of the uh of like where the creek was yeah and then he started strutting down there and then a hen came in and took him away from me but yeah that's just one instance where like the the jake yelp brought a gobbler into me and then i think it was like a few days later like my second or third hunt i did it again and ended up killing one so the the jake yelp i wanted yeah. to touch on this my decoy setup is a, a long jake for the most part mm-hmm. and a lot of folks ask me why do i use a single jake and you know, a lot of people don't don't get that concept. They like your hen yelping, or you're trying to attract that gobbler. Why not have a hen decoy out there? Well, you see how effective a Jake yelp is. A Jake decoy is even more effective. Um, and what I tell a lot of people is, you get a gobbler comes in, he and he's out there strutting out of gun range, and mm-hmm. you've got a hen. He the hen can see him. The hen he thinks that's real can see him. So he's displaying. Mm-hmm. If she's not going to come to him, then she's telling him I have no interest. But if you're over there, you can do a hen yelp while you got a Jake decoy. You're a hen that he can't see. Mm-hmm. There's a Jake right there in the vicinity. He's going to come over there to, because he has to come there to confront that Jake. And so mm-hmm. I've had a, a, a huge amount of success with just a Jake decoy. And a lot of people say they're worried because it could scare a gobbler off. I don't think, I can, can't recall ever having a gobbler uh, shy away from just a, a single Jake decoy. But it's the posture I like is not strutting. I don't like strutter decoys as far as, uh, because you run that risk of you get that subordinate comes in and he's, oh, and sees it mm-hmm. and runs away. Um, just a, you know, a skinny body, a normal body, or maybe a quarter strut Jake. I like their head to be up and with a nice white, blue, red head that mm-hmm. can be seen 360 degrees. I don't like the body blocking that head. And um, so Jake decoys goes right along with Jake Yelps, how effective they, effective they seem to be. 
Yeah, yeah. no, and I, I believe it. I mean, that's one thing I'd like to try to start doing because I think a lot of guys aren't doing that, especially, you know, we hunt a lot of public land. We, when you're hunting public land, it's all about trying to do something different than a lot of other guys are doing because especially after that first week of season because mm-hmm. it gets pounded, mm-hmm. pounded, pounded. So if you can do anything different like that, you know, doing J-Kills because most guys aren't doing that, I think you could have a lot more success. Now, I know you got your calls out. Would you happen to do a J-Kilt for us? Can you do that real quick? I can this, try um, I'm about to get these reads separate. No, you're fine. And again, just to kind of give the listeners, uh, especially anyone that's, you know, kind of newer to turkey hunting, what does a Jake Yelp sound like? Because personally, before, I think Andrew, you even told me about it. Mm-hmm. I never even thought or heard about Jake Yelp. Sounds like a kiok. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it really does. It sounds like someone's like choking, like it's choking. Like, well, it, it, it can vary uh, a great deal. There's, I've heard Jake Yelps or what I thought was a hen. Jake Yelps, it sound a lot like a hen yeah. yelp. Um, for the most part, they have that yawky sound. Mm-hmm. And uh, just talking to Matt Van Seist yesterday, he was talking about the J-Kelp and how they kind of, what he calls, stumbling into the call. It's like, cow, 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 yeah. cow. And, um, oh, yeah. and you know how when you hear a gobbler on the limb, if there's two of them, it almost sounds like they time it just right. That first one gobbles, and it triggers the other one so quick that he gobbles. What A lot of times in the spring wood, you'll hear a gobble followed by J-Kelps. It's the Jake, he's not gobbling, but he's doing the same thing. Gobble, gobble, chow, 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 chow. And eventually he be, he able, he able learns to, to gobble, and so then it would be gobble, gobble, gobble. Now, i got a question. I mean, no one here is a biologist, I don't believe. You're not a biologist. No, no. Okay. Does, not with any formal training. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, my, my thought is, can a Jake, Jake Yelp, and gobble? Yeah. They can do two different – Two separate things. Because one reason I, I, I'm asking this, again, I'm the least educated turkey hunter here. In North Carolina last year, we, me and a buddy were hunting some public land, and we're covered up with birds. It was ridiculous and some pines. And uh had two birds gobbling. They were coming in on us, and they were gobble, gobble. And as they got in, and right when they popped around the tree, I'd never killed a bird until last year. Um, they came around a tree, and I saw one was a chicken. I'm like, what the heck? I'm like, oh, it's got to be a long beard. And they both stuck their heads out, and me and my buddy were like, all right, three, two, one, shot, boom. Went over there, and they were both Jake's. And I'm like, those sons of guns are gobbling. I mean, little, little three, four-inch beards, like no spurs. Oh, no. They, they're gobbling their heads have off. Have you not seen the video on my YouTube channel, the Polts Goblin? They're yeah, like, yeah. They're like a week old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, they can gobble. I saw that. Um, their gobble gets, typically gets more well-refined uh, and, mm-hmm. and sounds, uh, especially the older they get, they have a more of a deeper bellow to it. And I think that's just with age and their chest, you know, getting more developed. Mm-hmm. Jake has that real flat chest, um, yeah. so uh, usually their gobbles. I can hear them on the tree, and and I can't. I won't say a hundred percent of the time, but most of the time, if I hear a Jake gobble, mm-hmm. I can kind of tell that's a gobble or a mature one. Um, it's not always the case. You're going to make mistakes, and you're going to have that oddball Jake that's was born a little earlier or born very late the previous year, so he's a little older uh, spring bird. Mm-hmm. and uh, has a little more well-defined gobble. We had that happen in Illinois one year, and they were hammering coming in. I'm like, that's some big old Th- gobblers. That's <laughs> what these sound like. I mean, dude, they were deep. I mean, I was like, yeah. it just blew my mind. When they came around the corner, I was like, oh, what the? Yeah. <laughs> that's what these did. They come around the corner, and I'm like, oh, they're Jake's. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> Anywho. So, um, yeah, that you know, I've, I've got them in Florida on video and, and, and could hear them. They almost sound like hens, but if you listen and pay attention, you'll hear little instances where they chuck, 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 And uh, I'm going to try my best to do it during this call. No, Is it gonna, do I need to move my mic out a little bit? Yeah, maybe, maybe move it out a little bit. <clears throat> 
do that little roll of my throat because sometimes you'll hear them when they're yelping and it gives that. <laughs> That's pretty good. I hope it sounded okay. I got these headphones on, so I can't really. Hear that sounded it. fantastic. Yeah, no, that, that was pretty cool. And again, it's just one of those things that a lot of guys, especially getting into turkey hunting, that is not on their mind. It's like, okay, what what hen sounds I need to make? Mm-hmm. Like they don't even think about you know trying to sound like a Jake or even like a gobbler, uh, which we gobbled in. I was going to ask you, how often are you using gobbles in hunting situations? Oh yeah, um, I've used them a few times. It's usually a last resort type of deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The one I was talking about earlier, I think um, I'd been working these birds. It was a just a tiny track of. Uh, public land and the public land was uh, maybe a 20 acre field and there was a little chunk of timber of private mm-hmm. and two landowners on each half of that private um so i could only set up sit there was maybe a little brush pile that stuck out about 10 yards into the public so i was sitting right up in there and i could hear them over there hammering on the the neighbor the private land and uh had a jake come in i think and a hen they left and went back, and he's still gobbling. I'm like, well, I'm going to give it a shot. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? Mm-hmm. And so I gobbled, and he gobbled right away. And I did some hen yelps and maybe a Jake yelp. I can't recall, but he, I gobbled back to him again. And then I just shut up and sat there. It wasn't long. Here come uh, the, the hen and the Jake. And all of a sudden, the Jake went running. And I looked. It was that gobbler chasing that Jake. And then he looked down there, and here he come down there to where I was at. He appeared to have something wrong with his eye, and uh, I could see it in the video later, but he saw me. The sun just, it was late enough in the morning, the sun got up, and it was illuminating me in the brush. And as soon as he cleared the tree that was blocking the view of me, he saw me and instantly broke strut and wheeled around. And uh, I had to come over the tripod of my camera uh, with my gun, and he saw that, and he took off running. I shot him and got him on the run. He rolled over, but uh, <laughs> nice. I was like, yeah, that was 10 minutes after I gobbled, and here he showed up and and i'd been working him three hours that morning maybe yeah no yeah. we we had a hunt like that in alabama where i again can't gobble on a on a mouth call but i can do on a box call and um uh, got pretty proficient on a box call and we were in a situation where we had there was i don't know four or five birds in one morning but they kind of scattered once they hit the ground we couldn't get back on them and we went back down where we thought they had roosted along this little pond there's some cypress down there they were roosting in. And uh, we got underneath it and, like, calling. Nothing was happening. But you could see some turkey sign. We just, like, gobbled. And I gobbled, like, two or three times on that box call. And no, no, it was just quiet. And then we start going back down the, the drainage, like, on, away from this but pond. your viewers we, didn't we see were... me motion that I Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, guys. Yes, yeah, it's, it's an audio show. I keep forgetting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shane's over here, like, doing the whole, like. The fist pump gobble. Yeah, the fist pump <laughs> gobble. Um, oh, yeah, dude. Got that box call. And we hit it, like, three, three or four times. Yeah. We stuck around for, like. 20 minutes and then we start no. moving no we were there for a while because we started we found some uh and right in the bottom where the slough ended there's a cypress and we found all these tracks and we we're like are these hog tracks because we were we were wondering if there were hogs there because oh, yeah, we didn't yeah. think there were hogs so we were like down there trying to find like a good track to tell and we had just like determined that they were not hog tracks so we were starting to move off and we take like four or five steps and one fires off right on top of the hill overlooking where we just were. We yeah. were down in the bottom. It was probably a good thing you moved because he probably would have saw oh, yeah. oh, it was wide open. Yeah, there was no way you could set up efficiently, I don't think. But anyway, so they it, one hammers up top, 
And then, like, all of a sudden, he's down at the bottom. And then, like, there was two birds, and another one, like, fired off. And, like, mm-hmm. I was like, if we would have freaking sat there and just shut up. Like you said, that's the biggest thing. Like, being looking at this as a new guy is, like, knowing when to shut up, stay quiet, and sit still. Yeah, and just wait for And him. just wait. Because looking back, there's a road that we walked down to get there. And on top of the ridge. On top of the ridge. And somehow, we walked past those turkeys, but they didn't see us. They must have been off the road in the woods. And we went back out from that road after we screwed this hunt up and didn't kill them. And what had happened is the turkeys were way up on that ridge. They heard us gobble, and they came right down the road. You mm. can see their tracks coming down the middle. And you can see where they strutted down the road, too. It was mm-hmm. all pine straw, and that's where they drug it. Yeah, like, and they, they got gun. to the lip of that hill where they could see down in there, and they didn't see us, which is, I think, why they gobbled. Mm-hmm. And they got down in there yeah. and did and their like, thing. Where are you guys at? Yeah. And, and what you touched on looking back is what you tell a new hunter. Mm-hmm. It's experience. Mm-hmm. Because you guys now learn from your experience what yep. you should have done. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people ask, you know, what's the biggest thing, like patience or whatever. When do you leave, uh, call one more time and leave 15 minutes later? Um, that's a real good one. I, I like to, whenever I'm set up somewhere, if I'm doing some line calling, before I ever leave, if I've been sitting there quietly for a little bit, I'll make one more series of calls and I'll just sit there quietly for 15 or 20 minutes. Maybe 30 is usually a better number. But, you know, don't make a call and don't get a response and then hop up and walk away. Next thing you know, you hear them gobbling where you were at. Give it 20 or 30 minutes, sit there. Or if you don't want to sit there, don't make that call to begin with. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had birds chase me before. And, mm-hmm. a, and, and what I mean chase is walking a ridge, ca- running and gunning type style and calling. And um, you move 150 yards, 200, and you call. You sit there for a minute or two. You move and call. And all of a sudden, this bird gobbles. And, um, you know, he wasn't on the same ridge as us, but he gobbled. We went on down the ridge a little bit, hoping to get in a better position to find a place to go in the valley. Called again. He gobbles. He didn't come across and was up back where I last called. And I'm like, if I just sat down there, he would have come right to us. But What state was I hunting that happened to me last year? I hunted a bunch of different states. I, I was traveling with work up and down the East Coast. So I hunted – I should have hunted – New York while I was up there too, but I don't like in Ohio and stuff. And I might've been Alabama, but we had, I had a situation like that last year where I was hunting. And like you said, kind of calling and kind of staying running gun, staying real mobile. I call it walking and calling basically. Cause I don't yeah. ever run. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, That sounds a little dangerous, but in, in having the same thing, yeah, bird kind of like falling up behind you and then you try to step and you just don't pick a good spot. That's one thing I talked to with coach Strickland last year was, you know, I was trying to ask him a couple of different thoughts on, different setups and like how to set up correctly to give yourself the highest odds for a bird to come in, whether you're using a decoy or not, um, you know, having like a good backdrop to you. So like when you're doing a set, what is something you're looking for when you're trying to set up or you just pretty much will sit anywhere? No, no, no. I, I, I analyze it as quickly as possible, depending on how, how much time I think I have. Mm-hmm. And I see, you know, I watch YouTube videos of other hunters. I watch TV, sometimes TV hunts. And I see a lot of things that I would do differently than, than, that I think are mistakes. Um, like number one, if you're using a decoy, mm-hmm. I see a lot of guys, they, the bird gobbles, they poke a decoy out in front of them with it in direct line of where the bird gobble. The bird shows up and he's, you basically forced him to look to you. And he sees that decoy that may be 30 yards from him and you're another 20 yards, 30 yards beyond it, but out of gun range. And he's like, I don't like what I see. And so what I typically try to do is you know, if I make a call or whatever, I try to position myself. I usually stick the decoy 
when I look around and see, okay, there's a good spot over there, I put the decoy where I was standing, where mm-hmm. he gobbled to my call, and I walk off to I'm a, a 90-degree angle. So when he approaches, he's looking at that decoy, and he's looking not at me. He's looking past that decoy at, uh, at 90 degrees. Or sometimes I take one like the um, Wisconsin up with my nephew. Mm-hmm. The decoy is back over behind us. And and if you're a right-handed shooter, you can have it over your left shoulder. That way, if they hang up 50 yards from the decoy and the decoy's back 20 yards, he's still 30 yards from you. He's not out of gun range when he hangs up. If one sneaks in behind you, you're a right-handed shooter, you can swing around and pop him that way. So I never try to put the decoy in line with me. Um, the other thing is, because I film my hunts, I always make sure that there's no trees blocking the camera or me. I don't like having a tree right next to the decoy or in the line of sight of that decoy because then you're there and the bird's there and you got a clear shot, but your camera is blocked by a tree. Mm, yeah. Yep. So, I mean, but a lot of people probably don't film their hunts, um, and so they don't really have to worry about that. But the main thing is don't put your decoy in a direct line of sight with the goblet. Which, that's probably a good idea. I mean, honestly, and we started... That's a safety issue also for <coughs> somebody else. Yeah, that's well, you're 100% right. And that's, so on, on public land, I've had one situation that was super sketchy where I had a guy actually, I was hunting my little brother, you know, this is probably about four years ago, and first time I ever hunted public land, and we had just bursted some, busted some hens off the roost, walking on this little tiny green field on this public land of some pines, and kind of got set up about 30 yards past where they flew off and started calling and, uh, you know, had a hen call back. Anyways, sooner or later, something was returning my call back and forth. And being a new call, new, new hunter, I was like, it's like, what the heck's going on? That hen, like, it's talking, but she's not doing anything. We kind of move up and we're on this little tiny power line. And I mean, a small power line. We're like, from one side to the other is 15 yards maybe, if mm-hmm. that. We were set up on one side on this little berm. And all of a sudden, I, like, after like 30 minutes, I was like, dude, this is like, I've got a weird feeling. And I looked through the short pines, and I could see something, like, calling stops. I saw something, like, black kind of, like, go <laughs> over a log. And I was like, what the hell was that? <laughs> and I told my brother, he was sitting next to me, I'm like, Thomas, just don't move. Because I was like, that's probably another hunter. And a couple hey, minutes. Was he belly crawling up to the woods? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 200 yards. So, finally, I hear a whistle. Or no, he's, he says, hey. I said, hey. And he stands up, I stand up, and he's no farther than the corner of that room right here. He sta- I, dude, like, like gun, 10, ten yards away. Gun in, gun pointed toward, like crawling with the gun in front of him. Yeah, guys, we're in a, one of the media rooms right now. So, anyways, the guy was probably about, yeah, ten yards, ten, twelve yards. He stands up, and I'm like, holy crap! I'm like, th- we didn't have a decoy out, thank, thankfully, because this dude was like hot headed. Was gonna, uh, I'm curious why he was coming crawling, to- crawling on a hen. Maybe he thought maybe the hens had a gobbler with them or hoping it would. I don't. It, That's what it, I wondered. Too. It was it was a sketchy situation, but. Other than that, never had a bad issue on public land. But where I was trying to go with that is using decoys. I kind of, after that situation, I'm like, I don't really want to use decoys in public. If I do, I'm not going to use, I don't want to use a Jake or a Gobbler, Strutter, anything like that. If I was going to use anything, it'd be a hen. And even then, mm-hmm. some guys would be kind of sketched out with. Um, but when it comes to hunting public land, it's like, especially if like you're going to go down like somewhere in the southeast, someplace where you're being more close, you know, closer timber, thicker timber, um, is that a place where you'd probably leave the decoy home, or would you still bring it and just use it in different situations? Yeah, I, I typically, especially if I'm going somewhere I've never hunted before, yeah. um, I like to have it at, because if I needed it and I didn't have it, then, you know, how that works out. Um, but I, if I'm in timber 
and a bird responds to me. There's plenty of instances where I'll just plop down and there's, it really adds no benefit having a decoy there. By the time they get to where they could see the hen they heard calling, you could shoot them. Mm -hmm. And so there's no, no advantage of having a decoy there. Plus, um, you know, they're taking the time to put that decoy out. If you have to quickly move, you don't have to go there and get it and then risk them seeing you as you go out there 20 yards to get it. I can just roll over and, and slide. You know, there's maybe a little ditch or something over here I can get to, and then I can uh, uh, put reposition on the gobbler. There's a lot of uh, reasons where, you know, putting a decoy out there maybe is not the best thing. I, I don't use it as a crutch. Mm -hmm. Some people use it as a crutch. I mean, it's it's – Oh, I gotta put the decoy. I gotta put the decoy. That was me. That was me. that was me. Yeah, yeah I mean, you're telling. I mean, I, I'm I'm 100 percent honest. That was straight up me. Use it, use it as a tool, just yeah. like with a, a call. Mm -hmm. you, you don't have to jake it, but you can use it in certain situations. You don't have to put the decoy out, but in certain situations, it'll help. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it could possibly hurt you. Um, so that's why I go into every hunt. I typically use it in more open areas. If I'm in the timber, you know, and I don't see a need for it, I don't put it out. If I'm just gonna blind call. I've been walking and calling and running and gunning all morning, and I'm tired, and I just want to sit down somewhere. I'll find a spot that looks turkey-ish, mm -hmm. try to pick a nice setup, put the decoy out there, make a couple calls, and then just kind of close my eyes. And usually I hear, and my ears are pretty <laughs> tuned to turkey sounds, and so I instantly <laughs> open my eyes. It wakes me up out of a sleep. Um, if you watch the New York hunt from yeah. this past year, I was asleep in that video. The, <laughs> the bird gobbled like 60 or 70 yards away, and I said, whoop, straight up. <laughs> and I'm like, where'd that come from? <laughs> Man, that's how – you know Colton. Yeah. Colton's been on the podcast before. He's one of my best friends growing up. And what, he, he'll go squirrel hunting, and he'll just go to sleep like mid-morning. And he's like, every time when I wake up, I'll have like two or three squirrels mm -hmm. around me. You know, you're sitting nuts. there just like so still. That used to be the the case for me, turkey hunting. Every time I'd go to sleep, I'd wake up to either one breaking a stick or something coming in, or I'd wake up and they were standing in front of me. <laughs> and uh, so a lot of times I'd go out there and it's like, this is the best tactic I got. I'll just take a little nap right here beside the tree and <laughs> go to open sleep. up and my eyes and there'll be a turkey there. <laughs> now, what is what is your setup? Are you running just a, a turkey vest or are you using any kind of chair system? What do you use? I, I, Lately, I've been using the Alps Grand Slam with the kickstands, mm -hmm. and and the biggest reason, not only is it comfortable, um, but you can sit anywhere. Yeah. And if you're film, I like to film over the shoulder. I think that gives the best, um, uh, I guess, view or angle for the camera to see what the hunter sees. Also, it's a form of communication. Um, if you're set up five yards away from them, mm -hmm. you've got other trees, and then you can every time you shot. <clears throat> if you're over the shoulder what they can see you can see and you don't ever have to worry about it just and you'll hear me in my videos as soon as i get them in camera i'm like all right whenever you're ready i give them the command because i know that i must see if they lose sight of i'll lose sight or vice versa mm -hmm. um i guess i got off track what were you we talking about no just <laughs> like you're, you're set up when you're hunting i mean you're using a vest like you said yeah, the vest or okay so because that allows me to sit anywhere mm -hmm. Um, I don't need a tree. So the hunter can sit against a tree, and I can sit behind him over his shoulder, and I've got a back support. Uh, the areas in Wisconsin uh, that I hunt, a lot of times where they've been doing some uh, wild uh, timber management or whatever, there's all this thick brush around the field edges, or if I'm hunting one of those, there's no suitable tree to sit at. Uh, if there is, you're so far back from the field edge, you've got so much brush. And so I'll just plop down in the in a briar patch and, and just – make a little hole in the briars to you know see through like three feet from the edge mm -hmm. i've got good cover i've got a, a good backrest if you don't have a back support you're 
keep shifting your weight, fidgeting, trying to get comfortable, and uh, it's just a big ordeal. Um, I will say this, my vest doesn't have much for turkey calls in it. It's uh, mainly extra batteries and, and SD mm -hmm. cards. I have one pot call, an owl hooter, uh, and I think a crow call. I'm not sure if I still have that in there, but that's about the extent of my turkey calls. Well, that's one thing I want to talk to you about with us. This is going to be our first official season filming and you want to fill every pocket of your vest with a call no screw that no listen <laughs> listen no I, I dude i would love to go out there with like two mouth calls okay that's it a pot call and and if i want to run a box in a box or whatever and then i'll hook i carry a it. box only to gobble on pretty much i hardly use friction for like hen calls and stuff just because like you were talking about earlier mouth calls just so convenient but a, and a good a good box call also but a good pot call for locating birds, that's what a, that's why the pot calls in there. I, once I strike them, I'll use my mouth call to to work them in. Unless they quit gobbling at that, or won't gobble at that, I'll go back to the pot call. But a a good high pitch one that'll cut through the wind, mm -hmm. those are great locator calls. So I got to have that in the vest. Well, one thing I was going to talk to you about is, you know, what tips can you give us as guys are going to be self filming this year for turkeys? As like, first of all, how do you carry your camera gear? Because you're using a Sony uh, AX53. Yeah. Uh, external mic. Do you use a lapel mic? I have a. Uh, there's a shotgun mic on my camera, mm -hmm. and it's on a Manfrotto, probably a tripod head that's bigger than the than the camera needs. Yeah, Four hundred, five hundred. It's heavy. It's yeah. a MH fifty two hundred or something. Yeah. Whatever those MAH or something. Mm -hmm. um, so I have these um, lab mics. It's um, basically a field recorder, mm -hmm. and it has a lab mic hooked to it. Um, I turn it on when I get out of the truck and hit record. It records the entire hunt, um, and then I sync it up in, in editing later. I have these action cameras mounted on my tripod, on brackets, one forward and Which one back. I love that. And those um, also run continuously. Really? I have um, little external batteries used for charging phones. Yeah. So I, I buy some of those, and, uh, and then I attach those to my tripod. Zip tie? Well, no, I have – it's not Velcro. It's that rigid-type stuff, um, scotch – makes oh, it yeah and it kind of snaps together so, and they have an adhesive back it's like a, a rigid tape yeah, so yeah. You, i stick it on my wherever i can put it and then i put it on those batteries so all those batteries have it also and i just slap it on there and i run a little usb cord to my action cameras <laughs> so that it powers them for you know four to six hours yeah i, I try to get one with like at least ten thousand milliamp hours or whatever their the rating is on them so I get out of the truck, I turn my lab mics on, I turn those cameras on, hit record. They'll record for about four hours each. I carry, carry a little uh, uh, pack or whatever you call it, a little case mm -hmm. with a bunch of SD cards. Mm -hmm. And so I, I rarely miss something happening. Um, and the, the main camera I turn on and off as I need to, to get the, the good quality stuff. And so um, that's – and then you get the different angles. Yeah, no, that's pretty cool. Now – so, and what that brought that up is, first of all, I was wondering, you know, how are you getting everything in the woods? You know, are you putting everything in your vest? Are you carrying a shotgun in one hand, so tripod the, in the other? I used to put the, I used to put my camera tripod in the turkey pouch in the back of my mm -hmm. vest, and I carried my gun. And then I realized it was more important to get footage than it was to shoot something. And so my gun goes across my, my chest with the sling, mm -hmm. and the camera is always in my hands. And so if I come around the corner and there's a, uh, there were turkeys there that I didn't know were around the little cor curve in the road. Mm -hmm. I'm getting footage of it with those action cameras they're recording already, and then I just f turn on my main camera and get some footage. It helps tell the story. Yep. And um, I mean, who would want to watch me say, 
Well, I had my camera in my pouch and I came around the curve and there was a goblin and I shot him. Wish <laughs> I had footage, but that's the story, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. I'd rather show them the turkey and it run off and then I reset up and, and then kill it and have the footage of everything that happened. Well, talk about filming. And this is what kind of brought me up on this thought topic is the hunt that you posted of you and Scott Ellis, mm-hmm. where y'all are doing like that fighting scene in that mm-hmm. kind of open pot, open or hardwoods, hardwoods you were yeah. in. Um, what was your camera set for that? Because you had your main camera, action camera on the tripod, and you had one like on a tree or something looking back at you? I have a uh, another action camera. I run three. So okay. I, I've got four cameras going and, and two lab mics. The hunter has one uh, and I have one. And the reason I use the, the field recorders, you know, the, the biggest thing, uh, I guess the negative that I can't check audio with it. I just have to trust that they're running. And they've never let me down so far. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no interference from wireless things like that and so you yeah. get real good audio and the hunter can be 200 yards away and, and I can film it and he could I'll tell him a lot of times make sure you're talking to yourself because I'm it's recording and if you you know something happens I'm filming you at a distance and say oh man they just went over the hill or whatever so that you can tell the story um, but I have that third one and I call it my ground camera it's um, a little three-leg tripod but it has um, flexible legs mm-hmm. and you can wrap around stuff oh yeah and uh, and then also have a battery for it so my vest has this pocket here has batteries for the ground camera yep. and then this one over here on the right has extra backup batteries for the the tripod for those two mounted to the tripod when we get somewhere i deploy that little ground camera i either put it up in a tree wrap it in a limb looking mm-hmm. over our shoulders whatever i think is the best angle for that or time permitting if it's gobbler is really close i just got to reach out and stick it on the ground i used to use a decoy stake also yeah. and i had a, a little gopro type mount up there and i think that's what i used on else say yeah so it was um like a decoy the ones like um that extend like a tent pole yeah you can, so i had it mounted there and it folded it was in my pouch you just flick it open stick it in the ground and and plug in your battery and hit record and you'll see me reach over there and adjust it yeah i can kind of eyeball the lens and get a feel for where it's aiming that type of thing that's pretty slick just because especially since we'll be doing you know a lot of self-filming with us hunting different states but also doing some group filming how to be able to tell the whole story because one thing if you just have one main camera and a couple action cameras but you're not really showing the story of your setup a lot of people want to know what your setup look like like why you're, why the birds come in why you're working a bird and why did the bird just all of a sudden just yeah break strut exactly what did it see? Mm-hmm. yeah oh uh, and that's one thing i think i want to try to do this year because i've got a couple i've got three three or four gopros that i want to kind of be able to position like that be able to kind of tell the story also i got to get a new tripod that's more a hardy tripod that's gonna be a little handle the abuse that this season's gonna have me too because <laughs> tripod i have right now is not gonna cut it but uh that's pretty cool and that hunt was I mean, you didn't even show what happened, but it was like that two-minute section of uh, you and Scott is going at. With yeah, like they, the, they shared it on the National Wildlife yeah. Federation page, and and uh, they tagged us in it. And, and next thing I know, it was just comment after comment and share after share. And I'm like, and I texted uh, Pete at the end of the tip. I was like, mm-hmm. have you seen the video you posted of Scott and I doing that f- fake fight? And I said, it's like over 200,000 views and yep. like 1,000 shares or something ridiculous. <laughs> like, what is it about that? It, that people are, you know, to just me, it, just, really it, was just a, it was just a hunt. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. It went, went kind of viral there and it surprised me. The, the one, number one thing I think that really helped it was the setup and the cameras. Because if it was just one main camera and y'all were doing that, it would have been cool, but you can't see the whole story. Yeah. When you had your other cameras back and you could kind of see yeah, what was going back on. back and forth and 
that was awesome. Beating the wing on the tree. Yeah, because we tried, th- and that's helpful because watching that, like I learned from that. Heck yeah! Like watching how y'all were conducting yourselves, and Scott's like whacking the tree with a turkey wing or whatever. That uh, that's that's really helpful for somebody who's trying to learn how to set up on turkeys. Because for like my first few years of turkey hunting, that was my big roadblock with setups, where you get to a spot and you're like, I don't know what to do. Like I'm gonna set up against that tree. Well, I'm, gl- I'm glad it had that side effect of showing people <laughs> because that the reason I added those multiple angle cameras is because I hate narrating a show after or a hunt after I film it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, if I add other cameras, I can cut to them instead of doing re- recreates. And I don't have to narrate it afterwards like, okay, we worked this bird for a while and then we had to do this. I can just edit the footage back and forth between cameras and makes my job editing a lot easier and so, you know, if it's teaching somebody something, then that's yeah. another bonus, I guess. Well, like the whole thing, using a wing, or you can use your hat for, like, doing or a fighting situation. Or, yeah, flop, yeah. We did that uh, two – was it last year two years ago? When did I pepper that freaking turkey? It was two uh, years ago. It was ago. two years ago. I, I called him up three birds, Dude, and he messed it up. He put me up. on so many birds. And I think he put, he put me on a lot of birds on public land <laughs> Alabama, and I miss or screwed up every one of them. Every yeah. one of them. And y'all still friends. Yeah. No, that, 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 that I'm, was, very, I'm very tolerant. <laughs> yeah. I, it was bad. I'm a very patient person. But, and, but we did that. We did a call sequence like that where we had a couple birds roosted like we were on the side of this big pine ridge. It's all, you know, slut cut pines, you know, pine forests in the south. And uh, they were – it was a big bowl, and they were on the other side of the bowl where they were where they were roosted. They were hammering. We did that little mm-hmm. fly-down sequence. I don't – we didn't even cut or anything. We just did like a no. fly-down with the hats. Sometimes that's all you need. And – if I would have sat still and just like just let it kind of happen, it was like just wide open pines. It, and I, I'm watching the turkeys over Jacob's shoulder. There's three like mature gobblers over there, not Jake's or anything, and they're strutting around full fans. I'm like, oh god, it's about to happen. And Jacob's facing like ten degrees off of where he should be, and they're out there strutting. And I just see him go like this, and I saw him do that. I was like, no, <laughs> no. And then you hear that putt, and uh, yeah, he peppered one of them. Yeah. <laughs> he gave him a sore butt as he was running away. Yeah. <laughs> it was bad. And then in Georgia last year, I missed an opportunity at a really big posing bird. Twice. Uh, dude, Jordan put – Jordan like you miss as much as I do. Oh, listen, I'm, and I'm, I'm open about it. I'm not a person to lie about it. Like, I was straight up – man, I've missed birds. I, Jordan – I went hunting with Jordan. We covered 14 and a half miles in one day. Turkey hunting. I've never had that in my entire life. It's all flat land, but it's like – in rubber boots, that's not fun. Dude, would have, would have had my bird at 6.30 or 7 o'clock that morning if I would have freaking shot it. <laughs> Jordan had me, we were in a situation, again, a bunch of ponds, and like in these drainages, in all these ponds, it was a bunch of like, it's not like, it's not mountain laurel, but it looks like mountain laurel. Mm-hmm. So it's real, like, just highly vegetation, or, you know, real thick, dense vegetation. We got right on the side of it, and this bird, we were keep talking about like a bird tracking you. Mm-hmm. We'd go on one side of it, because he'd go on one side, and we'd call, and he'd go back on the other side, and then we'd call from this side, and We'd go back across, try to find him, and he'd come back across. And he was just – finally, we just sat still, like, hey, we're just going to let him come to us. We sat and called, and the problem was we're in that thick vegetation. We're on the side of this little roadbed that went down through there, and we were looking up the little hill, the hill being five feet tall, if that, super flat land. And that bird starts coming. He's strutting. It's a lot of thick stuff I can't really shoot through. But he gets to probably, again, 10, 15 yards from us, and he's just spitting and drumming right there. And he starts to come my way. The road is off to my left. He starts coming my way and then swings back and comes next to Jordan. And if Jordan would have had a freaking bang stick or something, he could have reached out there and poked that turkey, dude. He, he shoots a bow. You, you, you should probably tell the listeners 
who we're talking about. Oh, well, we talk about him all the time. But, yeah, guys, so Jordan. Okay, so. Yeah, we talk about Jordan all the time. So, <laughs> Jordan, Jordan Barnes. Barnes, anyone doesn't know him, close proximity TV, he hunts with a bow. That's all he hunts with. And I'm sure he's told you because he said, you said, oh, bring a shotgun down or well, something. Well, I told him, I said, man, I'd really appreciate it if, if we were going to hunt together, you'd pick up a gun again for at least for a hunt. <laughs> Hey, what, what did he tell you? Uh, no, he's going to stick to the boat. I was like, yeah. whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it, it, he told me after the fact, he's like, he's like, you'd never guess what uh, Shane told me. And I'm like, what? He's like, so he asked me to pick up a boat. He asked me to pick up a gun. I'm like, what'd you tell him? He's like, he's like, I want to tell him, hell no, but I'm too nice. I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> That's Jordan, man. Jordan's a stud, man. Dude, he cracks me up. It's just, you know, he's, he's killed a lot of birds, and he loves hunting with a bow, which he's good at it. But I don't I, – I enjoy, you know – bow hunting them and gun hunting but um I, I enjoyed them shooting them with a gun much more yeah and i know how difficult it is on public land especially in a um, heavily pressured public land mm -hmm. in the south where where we may potentially be hunting and how how easily those birds are spooked the slightest thing out of place and they're like tucking tail and running mm -hmm. and i'm thinking we, we got to get them in gun range. We got to find one on public land first, one that's going to be willing to work to the call, get them into bow or gun range, and then you got to be able to draw back on this bird and without it running, and then hit it and lethally. There's a lot of things that can go wrong, and I'm I'm just think I guess I'm too negative. I'm like just get a gun and kind of improve our odds a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> no, but and he yeah, no. Hey, I understand. But yeah, that's not Jordan. That's yeah. not Jordan's style. Jordan's like it's my way or it's just not happening. <laughs> and he's just hard-headed about. But it's cool to find someone that's, you know, passionate in what they want to yep. do and they yep. know it's going to be a struggle mm -hmm. and they go w with it cuz I'm a guy. It's like when we went to Wyoming, a lot of guys go out west to bow hunt. We went out west and had general tags for uh mule deer rifle tags. And I'm like, I go out there with a gun every time. If I if it, Again, helps my odds and, you know, lets me have a cool experience and stuff. But, uh, you know, Jordan's out there chasing Easterns. Well, I'd, I'll, I'd take a bow out. I mean, Kansas, I went out there. Yeah, and well, what hunt did you post? Um, God, when was that? It was about three weeks ago. You posted one on the edge of the field edge. You had your bow and it was all and self was sitting on my butt yeah. on, on those Grand Slam vests. And, yeah, that was Kansas. I'd hunted that spot um, a couple of years, 2014, a couple of years ago, whatever, and knew it had turkeys there was headed to Oklahoma and stopped in there to quick hunt. Um, had some jakes come in, but I heard more gobbling on the other side of the property. And there's so much um, private land out there that the, the locals, there's not a whole lot of population of people out there anyway, and so they can hunt the private stuff. And so I don't think those properties get hit very hard. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I went to Oklahoma on the way back. I said, I'm going to go out there, and, and it's archery season. That's when I usually take a bow. If I can't get a gun tag. That's it, in Kansas, right? Yeah, it was already, It was just archery season. Yep. That's the only reason I was there with a the bow. I had my gun in the truck, too, for the World Turkey Hunting Championship I was heading to. It was mm -hmm. a couple of days later. But anyway, so I get on this field edge, and I don't like hunting out of a blind. And the biggest thing is when you're filming, it makes audio horrible. It makes trying to film stuff um, it just doesn't look like a good presentation. I mean, you know what the audio is like in the ground blind. Someone moves their leg or scratches his leg. All you hear is that. Yep. And um, I just enjoy being out there and the breeze and the birds and everything, just being a part of it. And the blind just takes that away. So I, I'd rather them spook and me not kill them than to be in a blind. And plus, if you're on public land, and that's just one more thing to carry. Yep. Yeah. But uh, he come running across that field. And when I first saw him, I didn't know he was coming to me. 
because he was making a lap of like Indy 500 or something around that field. And I, I called to him, and I, in hindsight, I probably shouldn't have, but I thought he was just running across the field and was going to hit the woods and keep on getting it. So I was like, i got to stop this bird and let him know I'm over here. He, he already knew where I was at. He was coming to me. He was racing that Jake. You've probably seen a little snippet yeah. of him. There was a Jake racing with him. That Jake was smarter than him because he stopped out there at 50 yards, and you hear him off to the side gobble towards the end. But he come maybe he's seen this setup before. But that gobbler come right in. The Jake hung up out there, and that Jake was going, perk, perk. this ain't cool. This ain't cool. <laughs> I <don't> like this. <laughs> and then when his buddy got shot, then he, he gobbled after that. I was doing some fighting birds. But that was um, – yeah, that that uh, hunt there, you know, a lot of people when they're bow hunting, they want to put the decoy right on yeah. – right up close to them. And there's you – know, so the shot's close. So I don't know why you need them closer as long as you're – accurate they mm -hmm. can be 15 or 20 yards out there i put my decoys out there as yardage markers because yeah. you may not have the time to range especially if you're not in a blind so i have my jake out there at 20 yards and my hen at 30 they 99.9 percent .9 of the time come to the jake first so mm -hmm. that's why i had the jake closer and then they, he that's where he came to and i shot him and he it was a lethal hit but i didn't want him getting to the woods and burying up under a log or something and then never finding him yeah. so I just glanced out there real quick at my decoy, my hen, 30. He looked like he was about 10 yards beyond her. Put the 40-yard pin on him, and, and it, it must have been exactly where he was at. I think I walked it off. It was like 39 or something like yeah. that. So he was – I got lucky on that. Shish kebab. It looked good. <laughs> had it had it missed, um, I don't know if you would have even seen that shot. I'd be like, oh, I'll just go find him here in a moment. <laughs> it looks like Jordan killed one last year. <clears throat> after it kind of spooked and kind of like popped up and he misranged it and actually shot it in the head when he didn't mean to. Oh, at I like saw 40 that. yards or 45 that. yards. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, not saying he's trying to do that. That's what I mean, he keeps, like you said, well, he keeps his decoys within like 10 yards of his setups. Yeah, real close. But, okay, so we kind of went over hunting. We'll kind of go over a little bit of what you've got planned for this year. Um, now, you live in Minnesota, correct? Mm hmm All right. So, what states right now are you looking to try to reach out to? So, we'll start the season in Florida. That's kind of become a, um, a yearly thing lately, hunting with Doug Updike. He's a pretty enjoyable guy to be around and to hunt with. He, he always makes it enjoyable. If you've been watching any of the videos, he, the premature shootation oh yeah uh, 2017 and then last year's gun fell apart in the middle of a hunt the stock <laughs> fell off and, <laughs> that's so. the video that's the guy in the video where that that gobbler's coming in and you're like don't shoot yet yeah <laughs> but don't shoot till i tell you and then this past year his gun <laughs> fell apart as we we're walking in to set up and he's like how does this even happen and his gun's laying over two pieces <laughs> He had he had this, it on the sling on of his shoulder and just the stock just fell off while he's walking. And <laughs> oh, God. He's like, "What the heck?" And I look back and I'm, I got my camera and those little action cameras are running, but they're not pointed at him. And I was in such the disbelief when I looked over my shoulder at the gun there. I didn't even think about recording. And finally, it hit me like, "Oh, I should be recording this." And I get the camera up and he looks up. And he's like, "Oh, you're recording this too." <laughs> the um, the probably the funniest or the one of the more enjoyable parts of it was when the gobbler finally fired off and i'm like we need to be on move yeah reset up and uh and i was like what if it comes in behind us he's like well it'll just run right by us <laughs> and someone asked us did we shoot that after the fact or did doug call that i said no he was this it happens as they have my videos don't have recreates yeah. that's the way it happened and he was like jokingly oh it'll just run on by us and that's exactly what that bird did it got up there and it kind of saw us in the brush we had enough cover 
but it took off running. And Doug was going to wait to shoot it after it stopped, but I knew I had to swing the camera around, and I figured, I guess I, I'm just used to birds and hauling. Yep. And this being a public land Osceola, I figured it doesn't seen a fair share of hunters. And as soon as I swung the camera around, I said, shoot it. And he shoots in the back of the head, and it it's running still. And it actually, after he kills it, it makes a couple more steps walking forward before it falls over. Yeah. But, oh, man. But it was, it was a pretty cool hunt. And having that action camera right across the trail so you can see back, it just worked out well. That was the first thing I went over there. So let me make sure this camera's still recording. That would have been a great shot there. Yeah. You know, so – but it, that was a cool hunt because he got so close to you while I was coming down that road. I mean, y'all were yeah, just he off was, the road. He was <clears throat> six or seven feet from me. I mean, it was <clears> – <throat> excuse me. He'd come up there and he's uh, – well, <laughs> I asked Doug. I said, do you want me to call again or should we be quiet? And he just nods his head yes. And I was like, is that a yes to the first question or the second? And he just laughs and says yes. <laughs> and I, and I, I didn't know what to say at that point, but I see him put his hand up to his ear. And I was like, oh, he obviously he wants me to call. He's getting ready to listen. And I called, and the bird was right behind, like 25 yards behind me up the trail. And I'm like, oh, what do I do? And I'm panicking. If you look at the video, you can see me f grabbing the switch, the power switch to the main camera. Oh, yeah. I, I'm trying to find it. I'm just flicking it. <laughs> and I'm like – Maybe you should hand me the gun. I'll shoot it. And then I'm like, no, no, let's just – whatever happens, happens. But So, anyway, I'm, I got off sidetrack there. We'll start in Florida. But this year, my daughter wants to go and kill an Osceola also. So, she's going down there with me. <clears throat> so, Doug and I will still hunt. <clears throat> Let me clear my throat for a minute. These, these um, hosts don't have water here for me. <laughs> <laughs> got some right oh, there. I see some across my, my bad. <laughs> anyway, um, so we're going to Florida. My daughter wants to go down there and try to shoot an Osceola. So we're, uh, we didn't draw. We put in for some quota hunts and stuff, mm -hmm. and we didn't draw. So we're going to have to hunt the general public with everyone else. And um, I know a lot of people get worried about the safety issue of that. Um, I've been hunting public land since I was a teenager and as long as you don't do nothing stupid, yeah. you know what to do is safe. So we're going to go down and try and get her Osceola. I leave there. I come back home, work for a weekend. Um, then I go to Nebraska. Mm -hmm. And then after that, then my schedule kind of gets a little iffy. I was supposed to go to Iowa after that. Um, Catman. Yeah. Um, Jonathan Bone. Yep. He and I are trying to collaborate or get together on a hunt. Uh, we're going to do an Iowa hunt, but his schedule doesn't fit for that first week. Mm -hmm. So he may come up later in, in May towards the last of the Iowa season. I would go to Tennessee the first week of April and hunt with him. Um, I was talking to Andy with uh, Cabela's Turkey Roost. Um, I think they're going to be in – isn't that the name the, of the uh, show? Uh, the uh, Spring – or what's their show called? Not Spring Thunder. That's uh, Spring Thunder. Okay, that, Cabela's, that one. Cabela's Turkey Roost. Okay. Or, or I think that's the name of it. Sorry, guys, we probably botched it. Who knows? Oh, well. <laughs> to all the listeners out there. Someone's probably like, it's this, it's this. You're yelling, it yelling in, yeah. into their phone or whatever they're listening <laughs> to it on. Um, but anyway, uh, I'll, I may end up out there. Um, those guys will be close by, too, hunting. Yeah. And, and who knows what will happen out there. You may see all of us in the same video at one point. If or Is Tennessee a lock for you, or is it still up in the air? it's high probability right now. Uh, I got to talk to Jonathan later today Kay. to confirm our plans. And um, if it goes like it's looking like, I'll be there that the week of the 8th. If he's go if you're going with him where he normally goes. Oh, he's told me where he's going. And we're going to have to be camping. I'm like. Um, oh, yeah, you're, you're roughing it. But yeah. listen, 
there, there's you turkeys ha- there. You won't have a problem getting on birds. <laughs> he, he tells me it's got birds back oh there. Oh, my but it's, God, it's, yeah. It takes a little bit getting to. And yeah. I told him, I said, man, I've camped a lot for turkeys, but I've never camped outside of my truck. Yeah. <laughs> I pull up to a spot at 2 o'clock in the morning. I lay the seat back. I got the radio on some heat, mm-hmm. and that's how I camp. <laughs> so I try to steer away from tents. I know the hunting public guys, they seem to love sit, sleeping in tents out in the wilderness. They they came up to Wisconsin or Minnesota for the public land mm-hmm. challenge. And I was like, I've got a place you all can stay. The entire 10 or 15 of you, if you'd like. You know, you'll have Wi-Fi and everything. Uh, we'd rather camp. I was like, suit yourself. And, you know, <laughs> but that's kind of the whole deal. I think that's good for their audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. enough about them. Anyway, <laughs> so – um. We're going uh, possibly Tennessee. Um, I'm trying to think where else I'm going. I'm, uh, because my format of my turkey hunting show is changing mm-hmm. this year a little bit, um, Aaron Warbritton convinced me to talk with him to kind of go to more of that daily vlog-type style mm-hmm. journal. Yeah. So every other day, hopefully there will be a video posted. Um, I'm trying to stay fairly close to home in the Midwest, mm-hmm. and, and those long trips are the ones that – make it overbearing for me to edit and yeah. because I, I i am the only one that does it i don't have an editor or anything like that i hunt um i, re, I film the hunt i edit the hunt and i still work my 40 hours in a weekend a full-time job mm-hmm. and then you know trying to squeeze all that in without sleep deprivation um, <laughs> it, or with sleep deprivation it makes it really <laughs> tough so um i'm thinking minnesota um in Wisconsin, um, we may go south, mm-hmm. like to the deep south. Um, that's not set in stone yet, but <laughs> <Yeehaw>. <laughs> it's going to be a public land. We got to pick a spot and, and get all the logistics worked out of that, and we'll see how that goes. Um, you know, but uh, oh, in South Dakota, I forgot about that. So in South Dakota, I go there every year. If I draw a tag out there, um, I'll be using a gun. That's mm-hmm. one that I'm likely not – don't have enough preference points for it. I'll have – Really? You have to have one for the area I go, mm-hmm. usually about one to draw. <laughs> I have drawn without one before. Yeah. Um, but it's unlikely. And I'll just pick up an archery tag. Archery tags are over the counter. Gun tags are lottery. Dang. That's kind of cool. We were talking about doing maybe a Western hunt this year, next year, whatever, for turkeys, trying to figure out, you know, what would be a good state to go to. You know, I know a lot of people talk about Nebraska as a phenomenal state to go to. Kansas, you know, if you want to call it Western, you know, West, I guess you went to Western part of Kansas, hunt that. And uh, Montana, Jordan said he loved Montana. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I, with Prairie of South Dakota is, is lottery. Black Hills is not. Mm-hmm. For gun, that is. For either one gun. Uh, archery's over-the-counter statewide. Because your, your archery tag is good statewide. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Prairie unit of South Dakota, which is 70% of the state, has a lot of turkeys as long as there's a river and some trees there's turkeys there that's all you got to do is look on a map and say i see cottonwoods along that river creek there's turkeys i was gonna say i know andrew wants to wrap this up probably but real you know let's kind of go over this when you go to when you're looking to go to a different state that you've never been to and you're not going to hunt with somebody on some private land you're going to go public land what kind of scouting are you doing you know beforehand to try to you know have the higher odds once you get there well the internet is obviously my biggest tool um there's google earth there's uh the state um dnr sites Mm -hmm. 
um, NWTF sites. I kind of look to see where do they say turkeys may be. Then I go to the state and kind of try to confirm that with their state biologists because they'll have maps. Some state have, have maps that have more accurate um, dis distribution of the turkeys. Mm -hmm. um, I look for public land that looks like it with whole turkeys, creeks with trees, like I said, in the west, um, down south, pretty much everywhere. Um, not everywhere, but um, if there's a nice chunk of public land, it usually has turkeys. You get on these forums and just creep, you know, in the in in the back and, and see what mm -hmm. they're saying about sp spots. They, you know, people like to brag about their harvest. Look at last year's post on Facebook in a turkey hunting group, and they'll have a picture in front of a WMA. At that time when they posted, they weren't worried about it because they already got killed the bird. So, mm -hmm. but you can find those dated things, or even on old forums, and still do it. I'd also call places mm -hmm. like in South Dakota, for instance. I was looking at this public land and wasn't sure if it looked suitable but i wasn't sure and so i got on google maps and i found a little town and i you know, you know held my finger on there until a little thing popped up to contact for that business mm -hmm. it was a little convenience store or something or hardware store called it morning it's jim hey jim you you don't know me uh, this is shane from minnesota and I just got a quick question for you, if you could help me out. Sure, what is it? I said, I'm coming out there to Turkey Hut, and I just want to know if there's some turkeys around there. You know, he's like, oh, yeah, there's plenty of turkeys just north of town. And that was where that place was. Yeah. I'm like, that's all I needed to know. Thank you. He said, okay, <laughs> have a great day. day. <laughs> so there you uh, go. there's my, my long-distance scouting without, you know, putting much effort into it. Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of what I do. I, I take advantage of everything on the Internet. you you got to think outside the box. Don't just go to a state DNR site mm -hmm. and look for their maps. And don't go by, the, you know, this particular WNA has deer and squirrels and rabbit and turkeys because not all of them are accurate. Hmm. You know, and use, you know, forums and Facebook, social media. Don't be afraid to ask people that's gone out there, especially someone that doesn't live out there. If you find out they've hunted a certain area, they're not likely to return anytime soon. If it was like a once-off visit, yeah. they will share information readily. Mm -hmm. Now, when you go down to Florida and you're hunting public land for Osceolos, is there any other special tactics down there that would apply that maybe wouldn't apply anywhere else? And I'll give you an example. So I went down there last year for work and decided to buy a tag and license and everything uh, after the uh, quota hunts were done. And I was hunting um, – what? Big cypress. Big cypress. Mm, I've been there. Yeah. And it blew my mind because on the map, and I was talking, like, I got a friend down there who's a game warden, and he was, like, you know, helping me out with, like, different things and this and that. And what I thought was on the maps was land where all these freaking cypress trees were. It was all water. And it, like, flipped my mind upside down when I got there, and I could not find – I was trying to look for the like, oak. Well, that's where the turkeys would have been, the cypress heads, where the water was. Well, freaking, well, I, I appreciate that now. <laughs> yeah. When I was down there, I was like, what the hell? I'm In like, the few years I've been hunting Florida, I've, I've, it seems like everywhere there's a cypress hammock, especially an isolated one, Yeah, that's where the, there's turkeys roost to that. Dang. And and I, that's what I was doing with Doug down there where we were at this yeah. past year. Yeah. I was looking at the map, you know, that satellite, and you could I could tell which ones were cypress heads. After being next to one and you'd see where you're at, it's kind of have a gray look to yeah, it. Yeah, it does. And I'm like, we need to go there. And we went there, and we'd, we'd make a call, and one would gobble. Like, on the other side, it was after daybreak. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yep. And so we were locating these birds. I mean, you look at it, how many – how many birds we had gobbling and we we shot one and we saw others as we were riding around mm -hmm. and this was public land that gets hit pretty good i think there was 
potentially you know a couple hundred hunters in there mm-hmm. when we were there and um anywhere else you wouldn't have heard a bird but you know we picked up easily um learned real quick or i did doug probably already knew all this but he wasn't sharing it with me i'd say oh those cypher heads yeah yeah that's where they'll be and uh <laughs> so i mean there yeah he gave you some bad information if uh or you know you read it wrong i guess uh, that's probably what it was it's just uh, you know hearing about oak hammocks you know you'll find birds in oak hammocks i was talking to some locals and that's what they were talking about well the thing was when you looked on the map where i was on big cypress all i could find was cypress street like cypress hammocks or whatever they want to call but them if, it, if there's a lot of them then you still got to sort out where the birds are but it's, yeah that was the problem because there was a lot of them. i was finding funny thing i was finding more deer sign than turkey sign when i was out there because i was just i got out there and it was just so backwards of what i thought it was i thought more where the trees was gonna be on high ground turns out where the grass was it was the higher stuff mm-hmm. and it was just like walking anyways it now going back i think i would have a better idea of how to you know handle that situation but it just kind of blew my mind mm-hmm. Plus, I'd, I'd like to go back to big cypress because that and that and there kind of it didn't really kick my but it did in a way um i wasn't prepared for the the amount of walking i did yeah uh, I, I actually carried too much equipment in there, and I ended up walking 16 miles that first day. I barely made it back to my car. I could barely walk. And once my muscles had relaxed finally for the hour drive back to camp, <laughs> I could not even get out. I mean, yeah, literally, no. I could not walk. It was like, mm, oh, God. Throw your waist around to get your leg to move. <laughs> um, but I located some birds, and, and I found some good spots. Mm-hmm. And a buddy of mine it was down there hunting, or somebody, um, I forget who it was, messaged me, um, did I find any birds? And I said, here, I'll drop you a pin. I obviously can't go back. Um, it might have not have been the smartest thing to do because I want to return, and who knows, I may have turned him onto a hot spot. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I don't know. It's. I think there's always going to be spots like that that they are always going to be birds are always going to be in there yeah and there's always gonna be hunters that know about it it's just about going in there and hunt it smartly and, and try to get in there and kill one and get out yeah not in all honesty i'm not worried about sharing uh the tidbit information here or there um i think as long as a, a track of land has turkeys mm-hmm. you know i have a chance to go in there and, and killing one of them and you know, so I, I don't get too stingy now if someone some random strangers hey shay i seen you in your last video you were hunting here I hate that. Yeah. Do you hate that? I hate that. <laughs> we get people messaged. Oh, my. I hate that. When we were hunting Tennessee, we had a couple guys that just kept messaging us about stuff. I'm like, I'm not saying you're right. I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm not going to answer yeah. any questions. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, someone commented on one of my YouTube videos. Where exactly uh, – what part of – I can't forget what his question was. What part of South Dakota was that? And I'd say um, it was north of Nebraska and west of Minnesota. <laughs> Somewhere <laughs> in that area or something. I can't remember. I was that. in North America. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um i don't know that this is one thing that kind of would bother me you know you have guys asking and like before we got into this like podcasting and everything else and really filming I, I never really thought much about that like people asking questions like oh man that looks like this and that then you kind of start doing this and like you know you get people commenting they're like hey that looks like a x y or z or whatever and that's what like, gets me is the guys who get it right on the comment section i'm like ah. no listen <laughs> Andrew, yeah, Andrew's got some friends from back home. And if you don't dare respond to it and say, no, you're wrong, because then they know you they were right. Yeah. Yeah. No, you just don't. You just don't do anything. Yeah, don't say anything. Delete comment. (laughs) (laughs) Delete block. Block. No. But anyways. And then there he is waiting in the spot when you get there. (laughs) 
<laughs> yep. But yeah. awesome. Well, it's well, kind of. I know you. Yeah, wrap we're it at up. the one. We're at the one twenty mark. So Shane, I think we've taken enough of your time, man. Uh, really appreciate you coming on and talking to us today. Hey, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed talking turkey and. Yeah. Seemed like a couple of good guys to talk turkey with. Well, we appreciate it. Definitely appreciate not the it. highest educated ones, but we're always willing to learn. <laughs> That's so. kind of like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, I've heard, as a concluder here, I, I've heard that from other guys that's either been in the industry for a while or just, you know, turkey hunting for a long time. It's like, it's nice to get around people that don't think they know everything. Yeah. Because yeah, you're, you're, you can be real with I everybody. I feel at home with you guys. It's just yeah. like me. Awesome, man. All right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here. And you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise. And I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you need to be if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast this show was literally made for you it is an excellent group of people that are going to be there a lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there you're going to get to talk to them shake their hand learn from them in person make some connections and guys we get a lot of questions about hey, which saddle should i get which tree stand should i get what about this piece of gear what about that piece of gear how do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.